Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. Some years ago, when we were back living in the old normal, I had a phone call from somebody who was loosely connected to the church. He was a high school student, and uh, he was he was doing a, a debate presentation for a class, and he wanted my help. And he, he wanted to bring up the question to his class and have them debate the question, can you be good without God? And, uh, and I said, ah, it's kind of, kind of the wrong question, because there are people who don't believe in God that are good. Um, I said, the, the issue is, where does your idea of right and wrong, good and evil, come from? You need to have some kind of transcendent source. I remember sitting him with him and, and his friend that was helping with this project and, and, and explaining what that meant, and he kind of went, oh, I don't know. Anyway, so I, I helped walk him through that, and I was present in the class when they did, when they did it, and, and he, he brought the question, he explained what it meant, and, and then the debate started. And um, the conclusion of the class was that, after a half an hour of debate, we can't really determine what is good and evil. We have no right to say whether somebody else, an individual or a culture, is good and evil. And, and this was, he actually had pictures of Nazi concentration camps. And the students were looking at those pictures saying, we have no basis to say that is wrong. So we live in a culture that's confused about good and evil, questions of justice. What is it? How do we get it? And so we're in the second part of this message series about justice today. And and my claim in the series is that Jesus gives us better tools to answer the questions of justice than our culture is struggling with. Not just better tools on, on, on how to do justice, but how do we as followers of Jesus ask that question, because that is a big, it's one of the biggest questions in our culture today. What is justice? How do we do it? How do we get there? Uh, If you have a comment or question relative to the message or even the message series, I would encourage you to put it on uh, the YouTube chat, uh, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. Uh, If I don't get to the answer today, or if the question is kind of relevant, I might use that to sort of inform further messages as we go along this track. So so don't, don't keep it to yourself. Put the questions and comments on there. So my claim today is we need a foundation for justice, a foundation that our culture has discarded. And the claim is that God's character, his self-revealed character, gives us a foundation for justice, one that works. So in what ways does it do this? First of all, God reveals himself as creator. I was was walking along the street one day, just minding my own business. It might have been coming from Tim Hortons to here, and I saw a little blue piece of paper on the ground. It looked like garbage. Somebody had thrown it out. It caught my eye for some reason, maybe because of my Dutch background. It wasn't just a blue piece of paper. It was a a $5 bill. Somebody had crumpled it up and lost it or whatever, and it looked like garbage. But it wasn't garbage. It has inherent value, whether somebody threw it out on purpose or by accident whether it was discarded, whether it was dirty, whether it was partially ripped or wrinkled, it has inherent value because it's worth $5. Genesis 1 verse 26 talks about God creating everything, the world, and and at the culmination of creation, he says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now that seems a simple statement, but it's loaded. When you read it within the context of the culture, how it would be understood, it talks about human beings being God's image bearers. 
There's a, there's a value and a responsibility there. Other cultures would say, here's the pinnacle of creation. It's, it's the sun or a certain kind of animal. This is the highest representation of God. But in this story, humans are, which means that every human has inherent value. Every human is, is valued as a, as a worshiper, a reflector of who God is, whether perfectly or imperfectly. Humans are valuable as co-creators. Some people have a problem with only God can create. God didn't create cre- concentration camps. Humans did. We have huge potential for good and evil to create things that didn't exist before, good or bad. And God gave us a mandate, a responsibility as his image to be stewards of creation. We are responsible for creation. So every human being has supreme value. Every human being. Doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. Doesn't matter your ethnicity, your skin color. Doesn't matter your religion. Doesn't matter your gender or your sexuality. Every human being has supreme value in the eyes of God, created because God created us to love us. I can take it farther. Doesn't matter if you're good or bad. Doesn't matter if you're a crook or you're honest. Doesn't matter if it's somebody you don't like. God loves that person as much as he loves you. And there's huge value in that for each one of us, because each one of us can look in the mirror and say, I am supremely loved by God. Where we have challenges is when we have to recognize that the person that we are at odds with, family member, co-worker, downright evil people, God loves that person too. Every human being has supreme value. Now, the, the inherent value of every human being is a cultural value. Now, we take that for granted. But it hasn't been true throughout history, and it's not true around the world that every human being has inherent value. That is one of the, is one of the cultural infections of Christianity. That's how the story of Jesus has impacted our culture. So we take it for granted whether or not you believe in God. We believe that every human being has inherent value because of the story of Jesus, whether you understand that historically or not, whether you believe that to be true. Outside of the story of Jesus, that isn't necessarily true in every culture around the world. Now, we, we hold the value, but because our culture is in, has increasingly dismissed the idea of God or the idea of a personal God, we have the value as, the word is an axiom. Here's a phrase that I just believe to be true that I can't prove. But there's nothing to support that. There's nothing underneath that. We first see it articulated as, as such in the, the American Declaration of Independence, an absolutely historically uh, foundational and influential document where it talks about these inalienable rights that are given to us by God. We are recognizing the rights that God gave us. And yet many of the writers of the Declaration of Independence didn't believe in a personal God. They were deists. They believe in, in, in a God that sort of started up the universe and wound it up and let it run and is completely disengaged from then on which is sort of one stage on the the progression towards agnosticism and atheism. So we believe that every human is fundamentally valuable, but we don't really have a reason why every human is inherently valuable. And so we can see that challenged on the fringes. We can see arguments in ethics about which babies should be allowed to live and which babies shouldn't. We have arguments about euthanasia. Why? Because we hold the value, we don't really have a reason for it underneath. 
when we understand the story of God, when we understand this, this, this story that comes from Scripture, that reveals who God is, it's because God created us as followers of Jesus. This is, this is the reason for that. You can try to find reasons in, in biology and sociology, and people are trying to do that, but it's really tricky because at the fringes, you run into problems. Without that transcendent source, we're trying to, we're trying to build, up a, build up a morality that we all believe. We believe it in here, but we, we can't really justify it. If God doesn't exist, then that's what we have to deal with. How do we avoid the injustices that come from not recognizing the inherent value of every human being? In fact, denying the inherent value of every human being that we understand comes from being created in God's image, that's what leads to injustice. In fact, to, to commit injustice requires dehumanizing another human being. I believe that's true in every example. That other person that, is, that the injustice is being per- perpetrated on is somehow less than me, not equal to me. But because God created us in his image, as followers of Jesus, we're expected to live that out, to understand it, to believe it, to practice the implications of that. Because we are created in God's image, every human being has inherent value. That's a, it's a foundational source for true justice. Imagine if, uh, if the government instituted a new holiday. Okay, we all want another long weekend, right? Imagine there's a long weekend... Everybody gets the day off on a Monday, and you found out about it on Tuesday. You didn't get the day off. Everybody else did, but you didn't. I wonder how that would feel. Do you, I don't know if you know this, but yesterday was a holiday called Juneteenth. Have you ever heard of that? It's the very first time this year that the U.S. government has made it a federal holiday. It's a day off for everybody, and... Really, it's a holiday that's been celebrated for decades and decades and decades, over 100 years. Some people have celebrated it, but the celebration of it has expanded, and now the government has recognized it. What is Juneteenth? June 19th celebrates the Emancipation Declaration in the United States, the freedom of slaves, except that the Emancipation Declaration didn't happen on June 19th. It happened in September. So why do they celebrate it now? Because Abraham Lincoln signed the Declaration of emancipation in September, but it took many months for all the states to get on board. So after everybody in the United States was declared free from slavery, slavery is illegal, for almost another year, people were still being treated like slaves. And it was on June 19th, almost a year later, that Texas finally got on board and said, okay, we'll make this illegal. That's why it's celebrated on June 19th, because for almost a year, people were still, being, were still living enslaved, still being treated as slaves, until it was finally illegal around the nation as a whole. Ironically, because of inequality, because of injustice, some people were still enslaved because they didn't get the news and they couldn't read. That's why education is a justice issue. I'm about to go on a tangent and I won't. But if you can't read, you don't have access to the understanding that gives you freedom. Freedom from slavery. Exodus 20, verse 2. This is God describing himself. He says, I am the Lord your God 
who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. It's, it's not just, and just pull that out of nowhere. That's the phrase that comes right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. The, the covenant terms that God had with his people, he says, this is who I am. I am the liberator of slaves. That's who I am. It's, it's, it's a foundational concept of who God is. I don't know if you've ever taken a, a class or, or heard sermons about who God is. Many times what, what we've done is, if you ask a Christian or a Christian teacher or a small group leader who is God, many times we start from a philosophical point of view. God is immortal. God is omniscient, means he knows everything. God's omnipresent, means he's everywhere. God's eternal. I, did I miss one? Omnipotent. He has all power. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't say, let me introduce you to God. He is these four things, the omnis and the eternal. It starts with God as creator. God is liberator of slaves. That's who he is. But there's a big problem with that. I, I read a book very recently by Esau Macaulay. He's an uh, Anglican uh, professor and pastor in the United States. And he wrote a book called Reading While Black. It's a very specific book. It's very, uh, it's interesting, it's engaging, it's enlightening. I would encourage anybody to read it. And, and he deals with the issue about how it's different to read scripture in the United States as a black person compared to a white person and how that has in, informed how people view society at large. And he reveals the, that when slavery was still a thing, slave owners would use scripture to justify it. They would pick a few passages out of Timothy or Ephesians, how Paul says, here's how you behave. And in some denominations, if you were, to, if you were a black person, you were to become a member in that denomination, you, you, had to, you had to sign off on a statement saying, I will not challenge the status quo of slavery. Because it would undermine society as they knew it. And they forgot, and this is what Esau Macaulay points out, that God's, one of God's primary characteristics in the whole narrative of Scripture is that he's a liberator of slave, slaves. And, and, and what, what the slave owners did is they rejected the big picture for what served their own interests in contrast to God's intention. God is a liberator. You read through the New Testament, and we don't have time to go into this, especially in Luke. You see all these promises and prophecies before Jesus comes that talks about how he's going to liberate the slaves. It's good news for the poor. And sometimes good news for the oppressed isn't good news for the oppressor. But God is a liberator. He, he brings equality. He brings freedom to those who were enslaved. Which leads to the next thing. God is a judge. We don't like that. We don't like judges. We don't like the idea of being judged, certainly in our culture today. There's an irony in that because uh, judgment everywhere. We judge ourselves. Ever wake up in the middle of the night for no reason absolutely whatsoever? No, nobody does that. You wake up for a reason. You wake up because there's a noise in your house or, oh, the power goes off. There's a change in the circumstances. Or you wake up because there's Something pops up in your head, and it won't let you go back to sleep. And it's usually one of two things. It's usually an injustice or a sense of injustice of something that you faced. 
you have a, a, an argument at work and you start replaying in your mind. You win the argument on your own. It's easier to win it when the other person's not there. You rehash the whole thing. You find yourself just going through this over and over and over in your mind. But the second thing that keeps you up is when you relive a past experience for which you're ashamed. And you wake up in the middle of the night just working over that regret over and over and over. Why, why do you do that? Why? Because you judge yourself. You criticize yourself. You judge yourself. You, you hold yourself up to some kind of standard of who you should have been that you didn't meet that standard, and you judge yourself for that, and you can't get back to sleep. As you judge yourself. Psalm 9, verse 8, and this is, I said that the Exodus passage, I kind of, it, it's at a, at a very specific spot. Psalm 9, verse 8, verse 8, is one of many, many, many passages that talks about God as judge. It says, he will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. One of, I don't know, 100 passages that talks of God as judge who judges with justice. He rules with fairness. We don't like the idea of judging. In our culture, judging is a bad word. We're expected to not judge one another. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. You can't judge somebody else. Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, that's one of those passages that's ripped out of the Bible completely out of context. And, 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 and we understand that judging somebody else is considered completely inappropriate. Judging ourselves is inappropriate. But with no judgment, there's no standard at all. We expect our kids to go to university as teens, we expect maybe to go to college or university, get a good job. Why? No judgment. Whatever. As soon as, you, as soon as you set an expectation, as soon as you set an ambition, you set a standard by which you will be judged or you will judge yourself. And we have to have standards. So judgment, it just happens without it. There's, there's, no, there's no direction. There's no aim in life. As soon as there's an aim, you evaluate whether or not you achieve that aim. But with no standard, there's no justice. Or with the wrong standard, there's no justice. So we revere the idea. We say we love the idea of not being judgmental. Don't judge other people. And yet, this world, I think these days, more than any time in my lifetime, it is fueled by the internet. The judgment of, of society is swift and devastating. Say something politically incorrect on Twitter or Instagram. Just see what happens. This is a neat little experiment. Don't do that because it could cost you a job. Literally. There are people that have said the wrong thing, and really wrong. I mean, I mean, who am I to judge? But they were ganged up on so viciously, some have committed suicide. We are cruelly judging society right now. Be careful with your opinions. Be careful sharing them. Be careful being open with them. If you have an opinion on gender identity or COVID vaccines or politics, be careful with that because you will be judged. And yet we say don't judge anyone. It's a mess. The big picture, bigger picture, we, we, we acknowledge that the government is supposed to judge. We have law courts. Uh, when somebody does you wrong, you can sue them, and, and the judge will make a decision. But we all know that, that the law of the land can be subverted by the wealthy and the powerful. 
Maybe less here than in other countries. There are other countries where you don't even have a hope because the law itself is completely corrupt. But when we want justice, social media or even the law of the land is not always a good place to go. It's not a great source for justice. God as judge gives us hope for justice. And I'm going to talk more about that in the next few weeks because just saying that doesn't make it true. I'm going to, I'm going to talk in the, sometime in the next couple of weeks about how that's true. So what's the solution? We, we have this understanding of God is creator. He's created us in his image. God is, is a liberator. Uh, God is judge. But how does that manifest as followers of Jesus? Well, it manifests in Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle of who God is. And Jesus, when it comes to the image of God, Jesus demonstrates the image of God. How many times in the New Testament does it, does it talk about Jesus as the highest image of God? So as, as human beings, we're created to be the image of God, and we fail in that. But Jesus lives it. He demonstrates it. He's the image of God. We find it difficult or impossible because as much as we're created with supreme value, we're, we're broken. And, and we're broken because of the culture we live in, and we're broken because of our own decisions. The, I, I hesitate to use the word because it's misunderstood, but, but the word that is sin means our innate self-destructive tendency. That's one of the meanings of it. And we can't overcome that on our own. That's why we wake up in the middle of the night at two in the morning and can't get back to sleep, because we judge ourselves because of guilt, because we know what we've done wrong. And at a certain point, you can't excuse it. We try, but we can't excuse it. You made a wrong turn here. You, you treated somebody unfairly there. You made, you made yourself look stupid there. Jesus is the image of God, the perfect image of God, but he's the liberator as well. It's the whole story. Jesus goes to the cross. That's a liberation event to rescue us from the slavery of our own wrongdoing, our self-destructive innate tendencies, and, and our guilt. We plague ourselves with guilt. Jesus broke that through the cross. And I don't want to imply, as we've done in our Christian tradition over the past hundred years, that this is just a personal individual thing. It is a personal individual thing. But Jesus also addresses the oppressive structures of culture, and we are called to participate with him in freeing people and challenging those kinds of structures that oppress people. It's how justice happens. And again, we'll flesh that out more over the next couple of weeks. And finally, Jesus is a judge. When you read through the New Testament, if you actually read it with open eyes, like you, you've never read it before, you see over and over and over, who's the judge of the world? Jesus is the judge of the world. He sets the highest standard as the image of God. He sets that standard, draws that line that reveals that we can't hit it. But God isn't just a judge. He's a merciful judge. So through the cross, he has made a way possible for us to be included in his family, despite our innate destructive tendencies. He's a judge that doesn't judge according to a set of rules. He judges according to God's ultimate intent. What does that mean? Uh, Esau Macaulay, in, in his book, he describes how Jesus refers to marriage and divorce. So Jesus is challenged on the rule. The rule says, if you are unhappy with your spouse, you can divorce them. That's really the intent. Can you, can you divorce your wife for another? 
The implication is there is, I found somebody I like better. That's the implication. Can you divorce your wife for another? And he says, no, you can't. And so the challenge was, but the law says you can. He says, the law is there as a concession to human brokenness. God's intent is for it not to happen. Esau Macaulay is specifically talking about slavery. Paul has these commands. How do you treat slaves? That's a concession to human brokenness, but it's not God's intent. And so Jesus as judge points to God's intent and gives us the means to reach that as we, as we throw our lives in with his. Now, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a skeptic, well, even if you're not a skeptic, at some point you have to be asking yourself, okay, but what about the atrocities done by the church? I hope somebody's thought of that because that's a legitimate question. People claiming to believe in God, but committing all of these things throughout history that are so obviously wrong, you don't even have to believe in God to recognize they're wrong. What about that? That's a legitimate question. And I would say this, for somebody who claims to believe in God, to commit that kind of injustice, they are denying God as creator, who created humans in his image because they dehumanize people. They deny God as liberator because they perpetuate oppression of people. And they deny God as judge because they forget that one day they have to stand before him and answer for the things that they have done. Sometimes those things have been done with malice, and sometimes they've been done with good intent, but they're really, really wrong. And if we are followers of Jesus, sometimes we have to be the first one, maybe we'd always need to be the first one to point that out when it happens. Not to wait for other people to notice and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's true, the Inquisition wasn't so good. You have to be careful with that because people, some of those injustices are, um, the accusations are exaggerated. So, a bit of a tangent here, but when it comes to the Inquisition, Inquisition, no, the Catholic Church did not kill a million witches in Europe through the Inquisition. Most people that were killed and tortured, not in that order, tortured and killed in the Inquisition, were Christians who believed differently. So, just because somebody makes an accusation doesn't make it true, but we also have to acknowledge where injustice has happened, whether it was with good intent or not. So what do we do? As followers of Jesus, 21st century, June 20th, the day after Juneteenth, we need to be able to answer the question of justice. People will ask. At some point, if the question of justice comes up, we have the opportunity to point to God, the creator of humans that he loves, the liberator of slaves, and the judge who decides what's right. We need to recognize for our own selves, the base of our sense of injustice. When injustice happens to you, where's that coming from? Is it coming from a, a human rights thing? That's a fairly recent phenomenon. The human rights is, is sort of a, if you, if you remove the idea of image of God, that's all you've got left. So where is your sense of injustice coming from? Is it illegitimate or is it, is it legitimate? What exactly is the thing that is wrong? And the, but the third thing, and this is where we are challenged in the 21st century, is to combat injustice according to God's intent. 
combat injustice according to God's intent. We should have a better sense of what justice is and how to make it happen because God loves every human being because he's made them in his image. Because God is a liberator of the slave. He's a liberator of the oppressed, the enslaved. And because God is the judge. So when we see it, we need to prayerfully consider how do we combat injustice in the small individual human relationships and in the large, the systems that perpetuate injustice in our nation. Now, maybe you're listening to this and, and this is new. Maybe, maybe you're hearing this and go, that's not the God I heard about. That's not the God I know. That's not the God I've been told of. I heard that you get in line with his program or he throws you into hell, which seems unjust. Maybe you're hearing for the first time that God loves you because he created you in his image, that God works for justice in the world. Maybe you've been told the wrong story. But I want to encourage you, if you've been told the wrong story, to hear the story of God who loves justice, who loves humans. When he judges, he doesn't judge you, he judges the evil in you. Which needs to happen. Because when you don't root out our self-destructive nature, our self-destructive nature will destroy us. But God has created a means for you to be free from that. And I want to share that with you this morning. If you, if you have never thrown your life in with God's purposes for justice for you and for the world, here's how you do it. It's as simple as ABC. A is admit. I admit that I have a self-destructive tendency. I am not making it on my own. I live in justice even when I don't want to. It's habit. It's, it's instinct. And I can't deal with that on my own. And so... That's the A. The B is to believe that Jesus has made the way. And we're going to explain that more in the next couple of weeks about how that happens. But through the cross, he broke the power of your self-destructive nature, of death, of guilt. So you can be actually in God's family, God's justice family. Not just justice, justice and righteousness. Making things right. And then C is saying no to the old life. Commit to the new life. Admit your need, believe, which is trust in Jesus and, and, and what he has done for you, and commit your life to him. And that's how you will be welcomed into God's family. It's how he will make your life right. It, it's not immediate. It's, we ally with him, and, it, and it's a process which we start to walk into. And commit your life fully to him. If this is a decision you want to make today for the first time, if you need to make this decision, do it. But connect with us. This is, a, this is a, a life, this is membership in God's justice family, his righteous family, that we, we need to live together. None of us can live this on our own. And so I want you to connect with us. Go to crosslands.live and click the follow Jesus button and give us your contact info. And we will give you next steps on how to live out this life, how to be part of God's purpose for making things right in the world. And also... I want to lead you in a prayer. Pray something like this. Make these words yours. Father in heaven, I admit my need for you. I admit, admit that I am not living up to your standard. I thank you for your love for me. I thank you you've made me in your image. And I am choosing to trust in Jesus today as my means 
from meeting that standard. I'm choosing to commit my life to you today, and I want to thank you for welcoming me into your family and into your purposes for justice and righteousness in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. And if this is, so, again, a prayer you've done for the first time, um, connect with us on crosses.live, follow Jesus, click that button. I said this last week, justice is, the pri is a primary concern of human society. And justice is one of God's primary concerns. But aiming for justice without God can lead to more injustice. And we see this. Try to correct and adjust and, and more and more injustice happens. Hopefully over time it, it, it gets smaller and you know, society may be better than it was 100 years ago, but we're still making a big mess of things. But if we act according to God's self-revealed character, loving creator, liberator, and merciful judge, that's our call. We can flounder along with the world, and, and I've, I've seen and heard of cases of, of churches trying to do justice the world's way, and actually backing away from the story of Jesus as the center of justice. It's a mistake. Justice is one of God's primary concerns, and we have to get it right. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you've created us for purpose. I thank you that you've created us to love us. I thank you that you have created us with supreme value. I thank you that you are a liberator who frees the oppressed and who you call us to participate with you in that. And I thank you that you are a just judge and a merciful judge. Father, give us eyes to see where we have participated in injustice in little and big ways and to change from that and to go your way. Give us eyes to see where there's injustice around us and what we can do to effect change for good, for your purposes in this world. And finally, Father, help us to be able to answer the question of injustice when people ask and point them to you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.